Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Amen. So a few weeks ago, if you were watching Monday Night Football, you'll remember this. A few weeks ago, a football player by the name of DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field in the middle of a game, Bill's Cincinnati game. He collapses on the field. And it was such a big deal. Even if you aren't into football, even if you don't like football or watch football, you know this story, you heard this news. The moment the medical team began performing CPR on DeMar on the field was the moment everybody knew this was no regular player down routine. This was a life or death situation and it was unfolding live on television in front of millions and millions of people. Hamlin's collapse left players from both sides distraught. Some were in tears. There are pictures and photos of, of these players just, just, just bawling. If you were watching it live, you see them impacted by what they're seeing unfold on the field. They're, they're one of their own. And it's, it's so mind-blowing. It's something that is hard to even comprehend. It, it, it was happening right in front of our eyes. Others, though, they knelt in, in prayer. They wrapped their arms around each other. They prayed, which was, a, which was an incredible moment to see all these players. And even seeing broadcasters praying live on the air. That was just an incredible moment. What was remarkable though was within 10 seconds, physicians were treating DeMar. He was resuscitated. He was intubated. He was carted off the field in an ambulance and placed in a medically induced coma. And and to be honest, no one really had very high hopes for him until miraculously two days later, DeMar woke up. He still has a long road to recovery. He actually just issued a statement with the NFL and and just finally got in front of a camera and shared a little bit of where he's at. He thanked the people. You know, one thing that he thanked the people for was their prayers. Okay. This was a man who believed God gave him a second chance. And so he was thankful for the the, the coaches and the staff and the people who jumped in and the people who, who, who prayed. But he's still on a long road to recovery. He still has an oxygen tank at times where he's still being monitored daily, but he is alive. Medical experts though, they point out that there was a very small window to help DeMar. I think that's what scared people so much. They realized this was, you you either get this right, you get one shot or you don't get it right and the consequences are severe. And between the quick response of the Bills trainers and the prayers of all the people, which that was pretty encouraging to see the nation lifting up somebody in prayer. Did you guys agree? I mean, that was pretty encouraging to see people coming around and lifting him up in prayer. And he's so thankful for that. He's already shared that. But because of the prayers of the people and the fast response of the team, his life was miraculously saved. And now it's a good story. Not a bad story. It's something that has turned around to to bring hope to millions of people. Our passage today, it begins with a similar problem. One of Jesus's friends, one of his close friends that he loves, is facing death. And time, once again, was of the essence. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Now there was a certain man 
who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, we don't know why Lazarus was ill, what kind of disease or whatever affliction he was facing, but we do know that it was so serious, only Jesus could help him. The problem was Jesus wasn't around. Jesus was ministering in another town. And so Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent messengers to get Jesus as fast as possible. It says in verse three, so the sisters sent to him, to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love, this is your friend, okay? This one, Jesus' friend, somebody he loves, had a special relationship with. He whom you love is ill, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, although those words probably comforted those messengers in that moment, they had no clue what was actually about to happen. All they knew was that they had a small window to help their friend Lazarus. And if Jesus didn't come soon, all hope would be lost. So what did Jesus do? Skip down to verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he left immediately. No, these are my words, okay? The red is my words, not Jesus' words. If you're following along, that's not what it says. Look at what it actually says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Like, wait, what? Two days longer? Jesus, somebody you love is dying and they need you right now, right away. What do you mean two more days? Why aren't you stopping everything and getting back to your friend? What they didn't know, what the messengers didn't know in this moment was based on the timeline of this story, Lazarus was actually already deceased. Lazarus had already passed. Jesus knew his friend had already passed because Jesus is God, okay? All of the I am statements are statements of deity. He knows all things. He understood what was actually happening and he actually had a plan in all of this. And, and he, he knew that his friend had already passed, but the messengers didn't. So they expected him to come in haste, drop everything and rush back to the town where Lazarus was. To them, a player was dying on the field in front of a live audience. And if the physicians didn't arrive quickly, it would all be over. That was the problem which leads to part two of the story, and that is the postponement. Why did Jesus postpone? Why did Jesus procrastinate? Earlier, Jesus said that this illness would lead to the glory of God. And this statement from Jesus reveals something important about pain, important about heartache, important about tragedy. If you are... If you've been on this earth for even a short amount of time, then you are already acquainted with pain and heartache. Have you guys experienced that in your life? Maybe you know loss. Maybe you know suffering. Maybe you know discouragement. That's what's happening in this passage. 
An entire community is discouraged. An entire community is facing death. A beloved person within that community is surrounded by his loved ones, but everybody, all hope is lost. Jesus isn't there to help. They know Jesus fixes people, helps people, heals people. Where is Jesus? We need him right now, right here in this moment. There's pain, there's heartache, there's doubt. This is kind of revealing about one of the ways that God works. You see, although God can speak to us at any time in our lives, he often shouts at us in our pain. You see, when times are good, when we have all that we want, when everything we need in life is plopped on our lap, we are usually sort of deaf to the things of God. We don't look up to him. We don't talk to him. We don't call out to him. We don't walk with him. We kind of just do our own thing. We kind of just get complacent. We kind of are just okay with being comfortable. That's why actually oftentimes Satan just wants us to just be comfortable because then we don't express any need for the Lord. C.S. Lewis says it this way. And this is a man, if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, he was acquainted with grief. He was acquainted with loss, the loss of some of his parents, the loss of his wife. He writes about loss. And this is what he says about it. Pain, if you've ever experienced pain in your life, which if you're a human being, you've experienced it. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to, to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Jesus was about to use the tragedy of death to arouse a deaf world. And so four days later, Jesus arrived on the scene. This is what the passage says, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So there's a community around them now trying to support them. Jesus is just now getting there. He wasn't there when he passed, and, he, and now he's finally getting there, and, and, and there's a community that's ministering. But where's Jesus been? So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went, she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. I just want to pause here and ask a question. As, as we're reading this story, think about your own life, and I want you to ask yourself this question and it's this, have you ever questioned God's timing? God, where were you? Where are you right now? Why are you letting this happen? Why aren't you coming through in this very moment? Three times in John chapter 11, the onlookers questioned Jesus's timing. If only you were here. If only you came as soon as we sent for you. If only you cared a little bit more. What kind of if onlys have you told yourself? God, if only. If only you would have came when I asked you to come. Then all things would be well. My grandpa, he, he often said this to us, um, a saying that's, I don't know where he got it from. You've probably heard it before, but he says this, God is rarely early, but he is always on time. Do you believe that this morning? You see, we belong to a culture 
that has a very hard time with something called waiting. If you're anything like me, when you put a hot pocket in the microwave, you watch it spin around. Like, are you kidding me? Two minutes, I have to, somebody needs to invent faster hot pockets, amen? Come on, like somebody's gotta invent. If you're anything like me, it's like, it's like we, we are, belong to a culture. We do not wait for things. We get them right then, right when we want it and how we want it. That's, that's the American culture. And uh, you know, if, if someone doesn't deliver, then you know, we're like, say we're at a, a restaurant and our waitress or our waiter doesn't deliver, then we're gonna go online and we're gonna give them a one-star review. I hope that's not you, but that's what everybody does. We are a culture that does not like to wait. We want it right here, right now. And if we have questions, what's crazy, we're, we're like the first culture in history. If we have a question about something, we pull out our phone. And we don't even have to type on it. We could just tell Siri to find it for us. We could tell Alexa to look it up for us. We could Google anything that we want. We could find any fact we want in, in the moment. We are a culture that is like, I want it now. And when I don't get it now, I really struggle. I don't like that. That is rude because I deserve everything right then in the moment. Stop hot pockets from spinning around for two and a half minutes. That is just rude. <laughs> or maybe that's just me. I literally stare at those things and then they blow up on the, on the microwave. Um, do you struggle with waiting? Lazarus's friends and family believed Jesus was four days late. What they didn't know was that four days was actually significant. You see, in Jesus's day, there was this custom and belief among Jews. This isn't a biblical belief. This is just kind of superstition that taught that uh, if a, when a person dies, the soul leaves the body and then the soul hovers around the body for three days, waiting, hoping to re-enter it, to resuscitate it. And once the decomp decomposition uh, process sets in and the, the color of the skin changes, then the soul knows that there's no hope and the soul leaves and, and, and is gone. Well, Jesus delayed because although Lazarus was already dead, he needed everybody to know that he was actually dead, dead. Dead as a doornail dead. Dead in the, in the sense that there was no way some superstitious thing of the spirit coming back into him randomly. Jesus was gonna do something very incredible that could not be you know, passed off as some kind of hoax or some kind of resuscitation or some kind of thing. This guy was asleep and now he's awake. Jesus was going to, to put the power of God on display. And so he waited four days before he showed up so that nobody could question what was about to happen. Now, before we get to the miracle, I just want to share a quick application with you. And it's this, God's delay is often for his display. When you are waiting and you feel God is delaying, do you still trust him? You see, sometimes God is going to make you wait because he has something better for you than what you actually think you need in that moment. Sometimes God is going to make you wait because he has lessons that he teaches you in the waiting. 
And the question is, will you trust him? The question is, will you believe him? Will you follow him even when you don't get what you want in the moment? Even when God, and here's the thing, God has never promised to be a bellhop, right? He's never promised that hey, anything you throw at me, I'm, I'm just gonna show up. He doesn't, he doesn't always give us what we want, but he will always deliver to us what we need. And sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to exercise the passage that says, be still, and know that I am God. God's delay is often for his display. When you think about this story with Lazarus, what is the greater miracle? Healing a man who is about to die or healing a man who was already pronounced dead and is in fact dead dead, has been dead for four days. What's the greater miracle? Raising a, a dead dead man, right? That's the greater miracle. Well, the greater the challenge the greater the miracle and the greater the strengthening of faith and the greater the glory of God. Sometimes God lets our circumstances challenge us in, in deeper and harder ways than we could have even imagined, that we could have even thought we could endure because his delay is often for his display. He will let you be in that moment and say, do you trust me? Will you follow me? And watch what I will do on the other side. If you are suffering, if you are struggling, God is not done with you yet. So don't be done with him. I learned this early on in ministry. I, I did junior high ministry for a while. And uh, then I did high school ministry. I've done kind of everything kind of going up through the church. And when I was in junior high ministry, I remember working with a guy. I really liked him. He was super cool. He went through one hard thing and he bailed out on God. One hard thing. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who go through one hard thing and they bail out on God. And I don't want to minimize pain. I don't want to minimize heartache. I don't want to minimize loss. But God is with you even in the pain. Amen. And he has amazing things that he can do even through the pain. So will you keep believing? And will you keep waiting? Although Martha and Mary kept believing, it was only half-hearted faith we read in the story. You see, Martha said to Jesus in John, in John 11, 21, Martha said, Lord, if only you'd been here. You guys ever do that? God, if only. What kind of if onlys do you play over and over in your head? If only you'd been here. My brother, he wouldn't have died. Like you could have healed him four days ago, but you can't do anything with this mess. This is too big of a mess. But even now I know, so here's a little bit of faith. Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother, he'll rise again. I already said that this would not lead to death, but to the glory of God. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the future at the resurrection on the last day. This response was half faith, half doubt, half worship, half anger. And her sister had a similar response in verse 32. Mary said, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if only, if only you'd been here, my brother, he would still be alive today. He would not have died. You see, they didn't necessarily distrust the Lord, but neither did they fully believe him and trust in his provision. This kind of faith 
is common, and it always attempts to limit God, to scale down God's power, to limit what God can actually do, to limit what God might actually want to accomplish through a situation. Because we don't understand it, we, we doubt God, and then we don't have, sometimes we don't get to see what God wants to do through it. This was a half-hearted faith. They were doubting the power of God, but that leads to the last section of the story, and that is the power. So we had the problem, we have the, po- the postponement, and now we have the power. In the context of this tragedy, Jesus gives probably the greatest I am statement of all of them. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says this. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How mind-blowing is that statement? You see, what's so cool about these I am statements that what I'm trying to point out through this series is they are not given in a vacuum. There is always some kind of circumstance or context or issue at hand before Jesus gives these mind-blowing teachings. And this is what we're seeing here, that people are looking at death in the eye. Their friend has been buried for four days. Jesus is late. And then he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I took the kids the other day, a couple weeks ago, to see the movie Puss in Boots. Have you guys seen this movie yet? Anybody? All right, some of you have seen it because you got little kids. Yes, all right. So you guys, some of you have seen this movie. If you have kids or not, this is a pretty good movie. I actually, it was way better than I thought. Uh, uh, Antonio Banderas plays uh, Puss in this movie. And, uh, and he's, he's this cat who, he had nine lives. He's already lost eight of them because he's kind of reckless with his, with his lives, okay? He was kind of wasting his life and he was just kind of putting himself out there and, and was reckless. And then one day he found out from a doctor like, hey man, you died again. And that was life number eight. And if you die one more time, it's over. And so he, in this movie, he's deciding, oh my gosh, I better pull back. I better retire. I better get out of this crazy lifestyle I'm living. Um, But as he's pulling back, there's this wolf called death who's wearing, he's a hooded figure and he's chasing puss through the movie. And he's, he's running, he's trying to get away from death, but everywhere he goes, he sees death lurking in the corner, this frightening figure in the distance, angry that he's wasted his life, knowing that the end will one day come. And, and I, I liked this movie for a lot of reasons, but one reason I liked it is because it just, it touched on some of the themes that I believe are relevant to the modern heart. You see, every age struggles with the finality of the grave. We all struggle with death. In Western culture, death is even still in this culture surrounded with mystery, surrounded with superstition. It's also been sanitized. If you think about it, it's been sanitized. Okay, death has been taken over by professional hospitals and hospices and morticians, and that's not bad, okay? I, I, we are grateful for all of those services. But what that means is that as a result, many people in modern culture have never even seen death, which is actually only a fairly recent phenomenon in, uh, in the lives of human beings, 
Only the last couple hundred years has death become so sanitized that people don't see it or really interact with it. A few hundred, couple hundred years ago, when somebody was passing away, everybody was there by that person's side, including the kids. And in fact, sometimes kids were responsible for digging holes for bodies, for graves. And, and I, I'm not saying bring back the old days, Cam. Okay? Don't, don't hear me say that. But what I'm saying is we have sanitized the process and we are, have their superstition around the process. And so it leaves us in kind of a weird spot. We hide death. We hide it in coffins that are beautifully made. We hide it in cemeteries that are supposed to reflect botanical gardens where you could show up and have peace and serenity and in a quiet and relaxing place. We hide it through our euphemisms. We don't actually say somebody died. We say somebody passed away. So we gloss over the topic because we dare not speak about it. All of this springs from a heartfelt desire to ignore death as much as possible because we are actually afraid of it, don't know what to do with it. So we just ignore it and pay somebody else to fix it up and clean it up to where it's actually presentable enough for me to just kind of see it a little bit and then move on as if death is not a real thing. It isn't a real issue. But here's what I want you to see today. You do not need to be afraid of death because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you hear those words? He who lives in me, believes in me, will live even after dying. You see, Jesus came to confront our greatest fear as human beings. You know what that is? The grave. Jesus came to deal with our greatest foe as human beings. You know what that is? Death. Death entered into the world through sin, rebellion against God. Satan has, con- has convinced people to, to, he convinced our first parents to abandon God and to, to become their own gods and build their own system. And as a result, God promised, when you leave me, you actually go and pave your own path. And that is a path that leads not to life where I sustain you and protect you and watch you. That is a path that leads to destruction and death. And that is up to you. What do you want to do? Follow me or go your own way. And we chose our own way. And since then, we've been acquainted with death and sorrow and grief. And Jesus loves us so much that he came to fix it. But he had to fix it by experiencing it, experiencing it himself. He promised that the consequence of sin would be what? Death. We can't be let off the hook. That was the promise. The only way to be let off the hook is for somebody to take that consequence for us. And It's not enough for somebody to take that consequence for us because that doesn't mean that death is defeated. That just means that person died. Somebody needs to come, take that consequence for us, and then they need to somehow have power 
over death and resurrect bodily from the grave. Then death is defeated. Then you can say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Jesus is the one who came to defeat death because Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is I am. He is God in the flesh. And he came to deal with our greatest foe. He's the resurrection. He is the life. He is the only one who has died and then risen never to die again. Okay, others in the Bible died and then were resurrected. And then, you know, I don't know how they felt about that. Maybe they were kind of mad. Like, Jesus, I, I was happy over there. Why, why are you bring me back here? All of those people who resurrected went back to death. Jesus died and rose never to die again. And he promises that whoever belongs to him will one day resurrect just as he rose from the grave, never to die again. Just as Jesus has done it, he will also do it for you. And the resurrection he offers is not just a resurrection in the future. It is also a resurrected spirit here now today. Because when you died in your sins, you died spiritually, you died physically, you were cut off from God. So Jesus came to awaken you, quicken you on the inside. Jesus created your spirit so Jesus can awaken your spirit. Jesus created your body so Jesus can resurrect your body. Jesus came to bring life. This I am that we're talking about today is the culmination of many unfolding ideas in the book of John. Jesus has already been revealed in many ways as the giver of life. Materially, he gives life to water by turning it to wine. Spiritually, he gives the life of new birth to Nicodemus. And the living water, soul-satisfying living water of the Holy Spirit to the woman at the well. Physically, he imparts life to a dying boy and a paralytic man and a man born blind. He is also the good shepherd who has come to provide the abundant life for his sheep. And now, today, he promises the indestructible life of the resurrection. The Lord was calling them to personally believe that he was the sole source of life. And the question is this, do you believe in Jesus? Now here's a question. If Jesus promises life, if Jesus is resurrection and life, if we will truly defeat death in Christ Jesus, then why do we still mourn in the face of death? Why do we still mourn? Well, we mourn because what I want you to know today, as much as we, you know, talk about not being afraid of death, something you need to understand and take away from today's message is this. Death is not natural. Death is not part of God's good created order for his human, for his creatures. When God created the heavens and the earth, he Step back and he said, behold, it's very what? It's very good. Death is not part of God's original story. Death is not part of what we, death is, death is a foreign invader. Okay, we are not made for death. Okay, you are not made for sand in your eyes. Okay, like you get sand in your eyes and you're like, man, this is terrible. I need to get this out of my eyes. You don't just live with the sand in your eyes and just embrace it like, oh, this is awesome. I'm just gonna accept it. Okay, you're not made for that. Similarly, you are not made, we were not made for death. 
This passage though provides an interesting glimpse of Jesus's view of death. Jesus sees the havoc that death has wreaked upon his good creation. And when he sees it, he doesn't laugh at it. When he sees it, he doesn't ignore it. When he sees it, he doesn't minimize it. When he sees it, he doesn't look at us like, man, what's wrong with you guys? Just get over it, get over it already. Look at what Jesus does when he sees it. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, this is one verse. And what did Jesus do? Jesus wept. Verse 35 is the shortest text in the whole Bible, but it's also the most eloquent. Because when Jesus wept, his tears were not the tears of professionals who might've been hired to mourn that day and, and they were inwardly detached from what was actually happening. These were tears of real pain, tears of real grief, real emotion. This, when, when you are hurting, when you experience loss, when you experience grief, Jesus doesn't look at you and misunderstand you and misdiagnose you. Jesus knows exactly what you feel because Jesus felt it himself. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be anxious. He knows what it's like to have bodies that fall apart. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one in front of you and to watch what loss can do. Jesus wept. He wept over death. But you know what's crazy? Even more example, greater example of his love for us is not his weeping over death but his anger towards death. Twice in the passage, it says that, that he was deeply moved. Deeply moved is not a great translation for that, that Greek word there, because that word has the connotation of an animal that is snorting. It's a, it's a, it's a war horse that is snorting in anger. It speaks of anger and indignation. Jesus, he isn't just sad about death. He is angry with death. He's angry about what death does to his creation. When Jesus sees us experience loss, he weeps with us and he's angry at death for us. And you too, if you have ever experienced death firsthand, you know somebody that you've lost somebody. There is an anger. This is a righteous and holy anger because death is an assault on everything that is good. We are not made for death. Jesus came to deal with our greatest foe. He weeps at the pain that it causes us. He's angry at the havoc it has wreaked upon us. He knows that he has power over it. People were doubting him. People were wondering, Jesus, where are you? What can you do? And so Jesus shows up on the scene and I love how um, the King James Version describes it. John eleven thirty nine. 39, Jesus comes up to the stone where the tomb where Lazarus is laid. And he says, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Okay. For he hath been dead for four days. Jesus sees what's happening in front of them. He knows what he came to do. He goes up to the stone and he's like, hey, time to remove the stone. And like, hey, no, Jesus, no. It, it, it stinketh in there. <laughs> You don't want to open that thing. Like I know, like you're too late. You're four days too late. 
It's over. Like it's gone. His, his soul's gone. It's done. Like you, you, it stinks. Okay, you, there, there's no, there's nothing you could do at this point. Jesus still has the stone removed, even though the scent, the reek, the foul smell of death is in the air. He has the stone removed, and then all he does is say a few words. It says he cried out with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" Why is it important that he says Lazarus come out instead of just come out? Because if he's just said, come out, guess what would happen? Every dead person on the planet would come out in that moment. That's the power of Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. He calls Lazarus by name and the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen straps, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to him, go and unbind him and let him go. Many have commented that Jesus's power over death isn't just power for one man, it is power for all men, all beings, everybody, every man, every woman. Jesus died and rose so that you might die and raise. Do you know the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ? Do you have hope in the face of death? There is one way to beat this foe. Medicine won't do it. Plastic surgery won't do it. Doctors can't fix it. No human being has an answer. There is one victor over death. His name is Jesus Christ. And as he emerged, Lazarus, as he emerged out of the tomb, the death-covered garments were on his body. And he unwraps the garments to remove that stench of death. And I feel like that's an amazing picture of what Jesus does for us. When we come to him, we come reeking of death. And then he calls us by name. Jonathan, come out. Gigi, come out. Tiffany, come out. And when you come out, you're wearing these old garments of death and you're peeling them off. And it's a picture. You, you, you once smelled like, like it was foul and it was bad and you, and, and, and you were decaying. And now you're, you're removing this and you're stepping into a new life. You're a new creation. That is the power of resurrection. And so the question today is obvious. And it's the question Jesus asked earlier in the passage. Do you believe this? That's the only way to have this hope is to believe. Do you believe that Jesus died so that you could live? Do you believe he is the resurrection and the life? And number two, have you removed your garments of death? Some of us were saved. Some of us were called. Some of us stepped out and we stepped into a new life, but we're still carrying around the fragrance of death on our bodies. It's time to leave the past in the past. All those things that pulled you down, all those things that wreaked havoc on your life, the, the sin, the shame, the guilt, the bad habits, the regrets, all of the things that you knew were keeping you from God, stop going back to those things, stop living with those things in your life. It is time to take them off, to remove the old, to get rid of the old garments and to live fully in your new life. Have you removed the garments of death? And number three, who are you bringing along with you? Who are you gonna share Jesus with? Who are you gonna see on the other side? You have an oikos, a group of people in your life who don't know Christ. You are his plan A to reach them and there is no plan B. Who is coming with you today? Now, uh, as I shared this message today, I just wanted to point out, if you wanna receive Jesus today, you can. If you want hope in the face of death today, you can. 
If you wanna ignore the message, you could do that too. But Jesus is calling your name today. Are you gonna respond? Jesus is calling your name today. You gonna be half in, half out? Half faith, half doubt? Jesus is calling your name today. Are you gonna trust him even when it's hard? Are you gonna believe that his delay is often for his display? Even though he may feel late, are you gonna trust that he's always on time? What are you going to do? We need to be a church that doesn't just listen to messages and, and, and just be like, okay, that was pretty cool. We need to be a church that responds to the word of God. And some of you here today, if you died today, if you're being real with yourself, you would not experience the resurrection and life that Jesus is talking about. You're still far from God. You're still wearing garments of death. You've never believed, you've never trusted, you've never confessed, you've never responded. You have just continued in your way of life expecting, you know, maybe one day when I feel comfortable, when I'm actually ready, when I, you know, when I'm done doing all, having all my fun or whatever I'm doing, then I'll respond. Today is the day of salvation. Make today the day you say yes to Jesus and no to sin. To make today the day you experience the joy of the resurrected life because you're not promised tomorrow. We pray with me. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for a chance to go through this series and to be reminded of what your son came to accomplish for us. Jesus, I thank you for enduring the cross for us. I thank you for facing death head on, for going to the other side and coming back to make a way for us. Bless this church. Bless us as a body of believers. Help us to be a church that is on fire for you. And I pray right now, if there are people in this room who need to respond, that they would. They know that they've been holding off, that they've been holding off, that they've been stiff-arming the Holy Spirit. And today, they need to finally receive you and come forward and confess their need for you. I pray that you would make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen.